Welcome to the OV Build podcast, Building to Boss. I'm Kira Gabliani, an investor here at OpenView. This month, we're releasing a special mini-series with female leaders in the enterprise SaaS industry who know the path to leadership is challenging, but aren't willing to let that stop them from building something great. Today, we hear from Raleen Santel. Throughout her career as a senior technology executive, she's led teams and developed award-winning products for companies like Intuit, Yahoo, PayPal, Adobe, and Sun Microsystems. Now she's on five boards where she advises public and private companies on enterprise risks, technology trends, innovation, strategy, cybersecurity, and digital transformation. In today's episode, we unpack how security is addressed in the boardrooms today, the role of relationships in career development, and what it means to send the figurative elevator back down. All of that and more in this episode of the Build mini-series, Building to Boss. Let's dive in with Merlene Santel. Merlene, thank you for joining us on the Build podcast mini-series, Building to Boss. So you have quite the resume from leading operations teams at Adobe, PayPal, Yahoo, and Intuit, to now holding board seats at several companies, including GitLab, Lightspeed, Banner Bank. But I'd like to start at the beginning. Can you take us back to being a software engineer at Sun Microsystems and, and then deciding to transition to a program role at Adobe? So thank you, Kara. First of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. As you know, I'm a friend of the OpenView team and so glad to be here. So if I uh, reflect and try to describe the arc of my career, I'd like to think of it in two dimensions. So the first, after moving here in the fall of 2000 with Sun Microsystems, I tried to be intentional in thinking about pivoting one from a software engineer to widening my scope to what it takes to run a business. And ultimately, that led me to the chief operating officer role. And the second dimension, as I try to look around the corners and see where technology is headed, I look at trends and try to lean into those disruptive forces. And the example I like to share is, so I disrupted myself by joining a San Francisco startup that innovated in the cloud space. And this is before, I would say, that cloud became part of our normal vernacular. And so while I enjoyed the creative process of developing software at Sun, I got a lot of energy from leading teams and eventually made that intentional shift into the dark side of management, as many people like to describe it. And so that led me to doing leading teams at Adobe. And these were the days where we were talking about physical boxes. And so Adobe is now famous with the HBR article on their shift to SaaS. And when we talk about burning of the boats, so going from physical CDs to actual the SaaS model. So I was just pleased to be at, at the company during that time. And so when I think about board roles, which is what I'm doing a lot of my time today, I get to help those companies push the envelope on those dimensions, whether it be GitLab with DevOps space and its all remote workforce, or looking at Lightspeed with this omni-channel accelerations to help small businesses thrive. So that's how I think about sort of the culmination of my entire career and how it's led me to my board roles today. Well, you've seen and done a lot. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your time at Yahoo. What was it like leading mobile and emerging products within kind of the, the startup within Yahoo? What were you know the first 100 days like and how did you measure success? 
Yeah. So I laugh because no matter what you read about in the press those days, the time I spent at Yahoo under Marissa's, and this is Marissa Mayer's home, was quite fun. Mobile was her big bet on turning around the company. And I had a chance to work with Tim Howes, who was a mobile engineering leader, still a good friend to this day, on developing award-winning apps for iOS and Android. And so for a bit of context, Tim was the C2 of LoudCloud, and he's mentioned in Ben Horowitz's book, Hard Things About Hard Things. And we were really blitzscaling the engineering operations through mostly acquisitions and some organic growth. But I would say the most significant challenge proved to be really ingesting those teams and trying to integrate them into the existing ones and getting them to work in unison. So we succeeded by really creating an environment that empowered employees through grand challenges and the light guardrails. So the teams were encouraged to innovate quickly, but act independently while still maintaining a high standard. And so in a way, we were leading the end-to-end engineering operations at one of the largest mobile organizations in the world at the time, um, which gave me a really invaluable perspective. You could be hands-on without micromanaging was a great lesson for me. And it really taught me how to coach and inspire and amplify a team to really deliver on what seemed impossible. So, and the funny part about all these skills is they're still relevant as I guide various boards that I sit on today. No, totally. And were you successful? Like, how did, how did it end up? Oh, it ended up great. We were able to deliver weather, which... You know, we won many Apple Award Design Awards and Digest. And so it was really fun. And we became, I would say, almost a billion dollar business at the time, enough to report to the street. And really just, it was a really, really fun time. That's awesome. And then, so you decide to leave and you end up going to Intuit. Like what specifically drew you to Intuit? Yeah. So during that year, I was featured by Business Insider as one of the most powerful women engineers at the time. And Intuit, CTO at the time, had heard about me through that particular award. And really, what drew me was really the mission-driven nature of the company. And most people often describe Intuit as a leadership factory that flies under the radar. And certainly, they've been able to reinvent themselves many times. And so that was very attractive. But people may know them as the flagship brands of TurboTax and QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. it's, It's funny. That's often the case. But anyway, I was fortunate enough to spend four great years reporting to the CTO and really being part of the leadership team to accelerate the platform and ecosystem story that as they try to disrupt themselves and continue to today. And so would love to hear just a little bit more about specifically what you were doing over your four years and and then, you know, how did things end up and, and why did you decide to leave? Yeah, so they were really, I describe it as moving from really honing into a more service-oriented architecture. We were consolidating various companies that were led intentionally to be left alone into ultimately four business units. So working on the divestiture of some of our flagship companies, um, including Quicken that started the company, but really just continuing to think about it from 
an ecosystem perspective versus individual companies. TurboTax and QuickBooks in and of themselves are two gigantic billion-dollar businesses on their own. And how can you think about those working as an ecosystem to accelerate and create a flywheel and continue to grow the company? So super, super exciting time. And when I think about why I left and, and really it's it they weren't structured with a COO path. And so that was my decision to leave. But very much a, a company that I really loved being a part of and really have a lot of lifelong friends there. And now that we've kind of talked about, you know, a higher overview of, of your career, would love to transition to the kind of more general advice. You know, a lot of our listeners are either founding or thinking of founding. Um companies, I thought it might be helpful for them to hear a little bit about uh, takeaways and, and lessons you've learned throughout your long career. And so, you know, want to start with networking and relationships. What role, if any, have they played kind of in, in your career development? Well, network is so crucial. It, by the way, it took me a while to figure this out, that Silicon Valley is about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> For real, for real. But once I did, it was just powerful to see the results. And to me, the key to it is to make it authentic and also create as many non-overlapping networks as possible. What I mean by that is you need to spend time with people who look like you and those who don't. And now I do that effortlessly and authentically. And I can't tell you how many doors have been opened to me as a result and networking, by the way, I could really be just offering to help someone. It's really not complicated. Yeah. And so, for example, my last two board appointments came from helping someone and then they made an introduction to two uh, board members. And so it definitely works. And I tell people that this, this is one of the ways, you know, if you open with helping someone out, it could lead to positive things. And you've used some some awesome language before to kind of describe this. You've spoken about kind of sending the figurative elevator back down. Can you tell the audience a little bit more like what you mean by that and any other examples you can give from your career? Yeah, so I just think about on your way up, it's often easy to think about either your peers or your bosses or people ahead of you. But I think it's important, especially because as I think about how even my life has been certainly not impossible, but very much improbable. It was, I stand on the shoulders of many people who have invested in me. And so that just means I spend a lot of time coaching and mentoring and supporting those really wanting to figure out how to make important strides in their career, but also who also want to join the boardroom. So I make a lot of time to do that. It's just really going back and helping someone else, especially if you can help accelerate the outcomes for them. Sending the elevator back down. I, I really do. I love that image. And then did managing come natural to you? Like when did you first start, start managing people? Like how did you even learn to do that? Well, I would say as a team lead, I started unofficially managing people at Sun, which is where I really discovered that I really love leading people and scaling teams and that I got a lot of energy out of it. And so that's the reason I think in many ways I credit that to helping me figure out how to pivot out of engineering so intentionally. But you have to care about people and growing people. And so it really just came to me by just really getting excited about helping my boss at the time, you know, be more effective. And so that's how I got the bug. And then any advice for first time managers? 
Yeah. So one of the best, one of the best quotes that helps, I think succinctly helped me think about advice is from the former CEO of Intuit, Brad Smith. So he often would say, your title makes you a manager. Your people will decide if you're a leader. So, and I think, by the way, that implies whether it's your first time or your nth time as a manager, is that this is about really thinking that the command and control way and people just have to be inspired by you. And if they're going to take a hell for you, they have to be inspired to follow you. And so think of leadership as just that, right? That you are here to lead and inspire people into really creating great outcomes. And so the title is merely just that. And, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but would love to kind of go back to how you landed your first board role how many boards are you on today and and how do you how do you balance all that like <laughs> well okay so my first board role so context is that more well over 80% i think of searches happen through your network and so my first one certainly did so I, the old adage is luck is where preparation meets opportunity and so my first board role came when I was networked and I was visible and ready. Specifically, a CEO who sat on the board of Watermark with me happened to be at a conference with the NAM and Gov chair of Banner, and they were looking for a tech expert with a background in cybersecurity living in Silicon Valley. And so that connection was made and the rest is history. So, you know, the lesson there is to tell everyone, which is often the the (laughs) advice I give for folks on that. That's amazing. And okay, so I'm glad you brought up cybersecurity. You've spoken about the fact that cybersecurity should be an enterprise-wide issue. So talk to me a little bit about how security is addressed in the boardrooms today and how you've seen that evolve over time. Yeah. So from a strategic perspective, there's a common saying in Silicon Valley that if you want to know where things are headed, follow the money. You know this better than I do. (laughs) And so if you think about technology and how the pandemic has accelerated the need for digital transformation, even if you're not a software company, you're leveraging technology to become more innovative and sometimes, frankly, survive. So DevOps, and I'll get to security, but I think this context is helpful, right? So DevOps is certainly having a moment, and it's really just a set of practices that's automating the processes between software and IT, so you can build and test and release faster. So what we're witnessing is because of these principles, we're also driving great outcomes. And there these outcomes around measurement and predictability is also the seven principles that are helping with good security outcomes. And so what started as sort of an IT practice is now becoming an enterprise-wide framework that's helping, you know, you think about the interactions between the exponential attack surface. And it's really helping to think about availability and critical systems and data. And so what would have started normally as just something around those specific IT departments is now something that everyone cares about. Everyone's at home. Everyone has access to potentially becoming a natural target for helping be an exploit to your cybersecurity programs. And so that's why when I think about cyber 
which would have started with something so technical is becoming something that every business leader cares about in many ways. And, you know, I've shared in past sessions that also as board members, you know, you have to think about the legal implications for that. Do you have access to adequate security experts? And do you have access to spend a lot of time in the boardroom thinking about these things? And so all of it is so we don't fret about being informed, but really thinking about the fundamentals. Because like I said, people are likely where your vulnerability will happen. And so nailing those basics helps quite a bit. And so has cyber continued to take up more and more airtime oh, yeah. in your boardrooms? Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, we already touched on this, but you're on several boards. Yep. I guess, do you mind talking us through like, your different roles on the boards? Yeah. So, you know, you alluded to I'm on multiple boards and that that's how I'm spending my time these days. And so one, it's important to talk about the way I'm able to do that is I ruthlessly prioritize my time. And I, I like to think, by the way, I try to be naturally organized. And so what I enjoy is thinking about the really having that natural partnership with having people with different point of views. So the different roles, so you start with your fiduciary responsibility of care, duty, and loyalty. And my profile for, I guess, the most succinct way to look at it is a digital director. And so when I think about the role I play is certainly it's around cyber innovation, strategy, transformation, but culture is becoming super, super important as well. And so when we think about 40 something years ago, 17% of business value was derived from culture, innovation and human capital. And it's almost half and half today. You see the strategic shift and you're seeing why the rise of the CHRO, for example, is becoming super, super important. So being able to think about where you're an expert, but also play bigger is when you were talking about the different roles you can play. I think that's that's very, very important. Do you think you're at max capacity with all your boards right now? Are you, well, are you gonna add more? Um, well, I'm hopeful to land a Fortune 500 board at some point, but I think for me, it's, I love what I do. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And so, and fortunate enough that I'm also um, gaining leadership roles within the board. So I currently share the risk committee at the Lightspeed board, which is dual listed on both New York Stock Exchange and TSX. And that's exciting, right? So the idea is there's this natural progression that you start as a board member and then you become a chair of a committee. And sort of ultimately become a chairperson on the board. So, very, very exciting. I have no doubt you will be on a Fortune 500 board soon (laughs) enough. Can we talk a little bit about GitLab specifically? Would love to kind of talk about your work with them and maybe 2021 priorities as, as being a board member. Yeah, sure. So GitLab is one of my latest board appointments. And, you know, I feel very fortunate to be on with such great investors and independent board members. And when I think about our vision, which continues to, by the way, there's lots and lots of information on GitLab. There's a handbook that you can spend (laughs) time going through. So if you're interested, it's, it's out there, just Google it. But the vision continues to be around radical transparency, and that we firmly believe that everyone can contribute. And when I think about contribution, 
which is so important to us. It means that you can contribute as an individual. So think about as a developer, you could do it by contributing to open source. As an employee or a team member, as GitLabers are known, you can contribute to the handbook or to the company, et cetera. But you should be able to, because it's open source, we wanted to make it free to contribute as an individual. And so our strategy continues to think about how to accelerate the DevOps platform, certainly build on our core open strength, be inclusive. Um, And so we care deeply about that and developing our team members. And most importantly, of course, is never forgetting the customer, which is something that's been ingrained in me, by the way, since my days at Intuit. So GitLab is the largest all remote company from day one. And so they even have a head of a remote, Darren Murphy. And so I very, very much enjoy just meeting with him as part of my onboarding and thinking about one of the things that he said that struck with me was the most dangerous words in business is we've always done it that way. So just thinking about those priorities. Yeah, yeah it's it rung very true. So as we think about even what's happening with the pandemic and everyone's looking to GitLab as a source of, since we've been doing it for a long time, is thinking about how to do that. And I think that ebook has been downloaded over 30,000 times. So it's really cool that we're leading the way that way. And then, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, but there's different types of board members with with different backgrounds. Can you share the benefits of having an operator on a board and how important you think that is, if at all, for companies going through hypergrowth? Yeah. So one of the main advantages, I think, having an operator is that, you know, I've walked in their shoes and certainly as a result, have a natural empathy. But I also approach board service with how can I help, right? I think if you approach that way, then whether you come in as an expert, given I gave you my background as a digital director, as it's known anyway, but if need be, I'm always ready to help in any way that I can help the company move forward. And so if you think about the natural empathy where things move quickly in this digital world that we're in, my natural profession has helped me have a distinct lens for problem solving. But I also think of digital transformation as across people, process, and technology. And the fact that I've done both legacy and modern tech stacks bodes well for this transformation that is happening, whether you're a tech company or non-tech company. So, And I have to imagine it's, it's a lot of like, well, you've been through this before. So help me think through this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I want to switch gears, some questions I have for the audience to continue to get to to know you better and and hopefully learn from stuff in your past. Advice for your younger self, what would it be? All right. I have to say I would definitely take more risk and know that everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. I heard that quote from a friend of mine, Cindy Solomon, years ago, and it really has stayed with me. Yeah, that's a good one. And then advice for women beginning their careers. Like, obviously, this is a mini series for for women. And so anything you can talk about around that at any point in your career would be helpful. Sure. So I would certainly give the same advice that I would give my younger self, which is definitely take more risks, but also refuse to be boxed into what others decide you can do and maintain optionality. So I finally 
fundamentally believe that you can be many things. It's really just about prioritizing what you focus on at a particular time. And I often coach women early in their careers that you don't need to limit yourself or slow down to pursue things in life because you're busy worrying about where life choices will take you. But that's like years down the line, right? I often remind my daughter every day that growth and comfort can't coexist. So for example, she'll graduate high school in just a few short months before oh my gosh, this year. So very, very exciting. And yeah, and she'll have the opportunity to play division one soccer at a school of her choice. So wow. for her, right, it's being able to play both the game she loves and also pursue her degree in computer science. And then I think she wants to run a company someday too. And so it it really is incredible that these things that I'm imparting on her is sticking with her because out of the blue, she asked me about, hey, this uncomfortableness that I'm feeling, it means that I'm growing, right? And so I was delighted to hear that some of it's staying with her. She's taking after her mom, computer science degree. (laughs) Gonna run a company. Okay. Best piece of advice you've gotten. All right. So I have like three leadership gems because I can't just pick one, but one of my favorites also from Brad is Brad Smith specifically is every opportunity, whether you come in first or you fall short is one for learning. So for me, this has helped me be intentional about decision-making and how I spend my time and it helps me to keep reinventing myself, right? So this idea of you thinking through why did you win something or it failed just continues to keep you like being intentional and relevant has been one that's been so, so spot on for me. The second is sort of leading into difficult problems because they're not going to go away. There's nothing more, you know, to it than that, right? I tend to deal with problems instead of letting them fester. And the good news is that if you do that, you're really setting that standard versus letting your ability to not fix a problem set that bar as what you're setting as the standard. So I think it's it's one of those things that it's not going to go away. And it's super important to lean into the the difficult things. Third piece of advice is really just around belonging and not waiting for someone to tell you you belong. I think if you're waiting for that permission to be powerful, right, and achieve your dreams, you'll be waiting a long time. And so, you know, I love this quote around the size of your dreams must always exceed your capacity to achieve them. I believe it's Ellen Sirleaf. So for me, it's always setting myself sights high and then just hustling my way to figure out how to get there. I love that. Set your sights high and and hustle. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Female role model and why? Well, I can't just pick one. I like to bed the rules a little bit here. So you can you can have more than one. Okay, I'll let you have more than one. <laughs> so I would say my first is my mom, right? So despite my humble beginnings, all five of her children graduated college, and three of us with our masters in engineering. And you know, with very little, she's done a lot. And so for me, she's responsible for certainly who I've become today. And the secret. One, of course, everyone, I well, I would say a lot of people would reference Oprah, but the reason for me is even yeah. before I became an executive, I was willing to bring others along the journey, right? We talked about this earlier, which is setting the elevator back down. 
So I recently was reminded about this when I was looking at a segment by Oprah. It's called Oprah's Daughters. And it was highlighting her all-girls school in South Africa. And I remember hearing her reference a quote from Maya Angelou, which is a legacy is not some big grand thing, but a legacy is every life you touch. And so it's really about what you do every day that mattered. And so my legacy, I hope, is that I made a meaningful contribution at the highest level in corporate America and really brought as many people along with me on this journey. I really like that. That's nice. It's all the little things that add up yep. to your legacy. Yep. Okay, last one. If you weren't in your current role, what would you be doing? Well, I would say I would definitely be building a company. And when I say that, I mean, it would be an and. So I would definitely be contributing on a couple of boards, but also building a company. Okay, well, now I'm staying tuned to see what you do next. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm watching. Definitely. Marlene, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for giving us some time and chatting with me today on on Building the Boss. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the OV Build podcast, Building to Boss. We hope you learned as much as we did. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. If you're looking for more open view content, follow me, Casey Renner, on LinkedIn. See you next time here on OV Build.